This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. There we go. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 103 of the Laravel News Podcast. We have been playing for you all of the Laracon US 2019 speaker interviews done by our very own Bill Kondo. If you don't know Bill Kondo, you should get to know Bill Kondo. He's an awesome guy. Um, he's not only a big dude in the Laravel community, but also in the PHP community. And uh, this year, he brought a bunch of podcasting equipment with him to Laracon so that he could interview all the speakers uh, backstage. And so he did that, sent the audio over to us, and we have published them all out there for you. So normally, this would be episode 92. However, it's episode 103, so that we kind of fall in order with all those speaker interviews as well. So don't be jarred or alarmed. <laughs> we did not incorrectly say the the uh, podcast number. It is in fact 103. Not this time. So Not this time. Not this time. Not this time. So welcome to the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, we have like 18, maybe 17, 16, 16, 17, 16 or 17 packages that we're going to be talking through today. Lots of packages, lots of development going on in the community. It's hard to keep up with, which is why we're here to help so that you can take the pieces that you need, leave what you don't and go along your merry way. Yep. So there we have yep, it. Yep, 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 yep. There we have it. Okay, so let's start off at the top of the show with our good friend, Jason Beggs, talking to us about our favorite CSS tool, Tailwind. Mr. Dorinda, will you tell us what are the 11 benefits that Jason outlines for us in his blog post here, 11 benefits of Tailwind? And which ones do you identify with? Yeah, it's a good question. So let's let's get through them. So Jason has been using Tailwind pretty much every day for almost two years. So he was a very early adopter. I'd say he was in there right right in the big, very beginning of when first started working on it. And, you know, all the people, myself included, that were more interested in the CSS utilities that he was using in his live streams than the, the projects he was building in those live streams. So with all of that, wealth of experience jason has distilled down as you said 11 benefits of tailwind css uh, we'll just hit the titles of each and then we'll dig into them a little bit more because there's 11 of them so bear with right. me as we rattle through this list number one customization number two built-in design system number three no naming things which i definitely identify with number four no context switching number five very easy onboarding. Number six, creating components is easy. Seven, development speed. Eight, responsive everywhere. Nine, small sizes, especially if you're using Purge CSS. Ten, caching benefits. And 11, confidence. So they're the 11 ones that Jason has distilled for us. So customization, Tailwind was built from the ground up to be customizable. It comes with a, a really solid default configuration. And in most cases, you won't have to customize anything. If you've seen any of the live streams that Adam Wathen has done, which uh, we'll link up in the show notes, he's taken things like the Netlify dashboard and using just the defaults from Tailwind, he's essentially recreated the, the, the Netlify dashboard. And that's just using the padding and the margin and, and the font sizes and styles and all of that kind of stuff that comes shipped with Tailwind itself with the default tailwind.config.js file that you initialize into your project. So everything from colors to spacing and fonts can be customized in that file. 
I've got three or four projects on the go at work, um, a couple of freelance projects. I have I've never touched that other than to add the the custom forms plugin, which is a uh, one that Adam built, which we can talk we'll actually talk a little bit about later on in the show. So super customizable. If you need it, very rare that you will. Uh, the built-in design system with with having the configuration file, it basically gives you a design system to work from. So in, mo- in most cases, the di- designs look better if everything is consistent in terms of spacing and sizes and everything is relative there. If you're using the same color palette of you know nine colors or 10 colors, including your grays or whatever, as opposed to everyone using a different shade of yellow or you know picking something from a color picker, which I don't know how many people do that anymore, but you know that's something that that can easily happen, especially if you've got bigger teams where people just open up a color palette and go, yeah, that looks like the right yellow and going from there. So because Tailwind allows you to configure all of the values up front or at least provide you the same defaults, as long as you stick to using the Tailwind classes, you have a pretty good start on the on a design system. So you don't ever have to worry about naming things. You don't have to worry about with, you know, with BAM where you had to come up with yeah. components or what was it? Block um, element modifier. Block elephant and then the modifier, elephant, elephant, elements and then <laughs> yeah. modifiers. Block elephants <laughs> and modifiers. So it's, you know, you just slap on all of your classes there. You don't have to worry about is this a card or is this the panel or is, you know, whatever. It's it's all just there and you just construct your HTML components using the CSS classes that are already there. You don't have to worry about organizing them and, and making sure they cascade in the correct order and things like that. Um, because everything is a utility. Basically, every class that is shipped with Tailwind is uh, is more or less a one-to-one mapping with some CSS attribute. So it makes things really easy in that, uh, that perspective. There's no context switching. You compile your Tailwind class and you're just in your HTML. If you want to increase the padding of something, you just use a different padding class. You don't have to worry about going in to a CSS file somewhere and then changing that and waiting for the CSS to compile and then go back to HTML and see, does that look good? No, you just bang straight in the HTML or view if you're using view or react or whatever, just straight in there and it changes straight away. Because you've got all of the naming and organization there as part of the default Tailwind configuration, it's very easy to onboard new developers. Anyone that knows Tailwind CSS, when they come into your project, it's just Tailwind CSS. Um, right. If you're using Tailwind between projects, again, if you're just using Tailwind CSS, then it's just Tailwind CSS. So you don't have to worry about figuring out what the panel is in this thing or, or what the padding is or whatever. It's all consistent, you know, 99% of the time as long as you're not changing things. So uh, if, you, if you're familiar with Tailwind in, in, one, in one project, in one organization, whatever, it's going to be the same 99% of the time wherever else you go. As I said, with the, the naming of things, creating components is really easy. You don't have to create a card class and then a card title and whatever in your CSS. You just create, you know, in Laravel, you'd create a a blade component or you could create a view component or a React component. And basically, you contain all of your CSS classes there inside the HTML. And you don't have to worry about duplication or anything like that because you've self-contained all of that in that in that component so you do it that way if you really need to break out into css um, things like buttons i guess i do maybe headings i'll do for the sake of consistency so i don't have to worry about copying and pasting specific classes to buttons or headings between between pages mm-hmm. you know creating those components is really easy in css using the apply direct um, you can use the theme directive or the the theme sorry function inside your um, view files for example to to pull things out of the Tailwind config. So everything's really consistent there um, and creating the components is really easy. And, and because of all of these things, development speed is really quick. You know, you don't have to worry about 
going back into your CSS file and then jumping over to your view file and then going to your blade file and bouncing around. Everything's just, you know, you don't have to worry about naming things. You don't have that cognitive overhead. You don't have the context switching. So everything's just a lot quicker inherently because of that. And everything is responsive in Tailwind. So everything's mobile first. So everything's for the smallest uh, 375 pixel or whatever it is, um, screen width. And then because it's all responsive, you know, if you say widthful by default, then it's going to be widthful all the way up to the, the largest um, responsive breakpoint, unless somewhere along the way, you know, small, medium, large, extra large, you decide to say, okay, well, this now needs to be a half or a quarter or whatever. So that makes it really easy. Adam has been doing the the live streams for the, the UI components that he and Steve have been building and showing just how easy it is to build, you know, even if you don't start mobile first to build your UI and then to make it responsive as necessary based on different breakpoints. So that's really good as well. I touched very briefly and I'll touch very briefly here on, on small file sizes using purge CSS because it's like a real dumb, for lack of better term, approach. It basically just looks for the classes that are in your CSS and and what's in your blade files or your view components. So that's all scaffolded out as part of your configuration. So when you run purge CSS as part of your build process, it will go and just look like, is this class used? So if you are using shadow or rounded or whatever, it'll look in your classes. And if it sees that, that string, okay, we're using that. So we'll leave it in there. Anything else just gets stripped out and it'll it'll hugely take your file size down. So especially if you're using things like gzip or Brotly for compression, it's very easy to take the the default 480 odd kilobyte Tailwind configuration, uh, Tailwind CSS file down to sub 10 kilobytes. And then once you've got oh, absolutely. A, yeah. um, gzip, it's you know a, a couple of kilobytes there. And this gives you heaps of really good caching benefits as well because you've got the same classes repeated. You know, it's easy to cache that because anytime you see like rounded, well, rounded, you only have to cache once and then you just pull it out of the cache anywhere else you see it. So, you know, using traditional CSS frameworks or custom CSS, you need to make changes to your CSS when everything changes in the design. But the other benefit here is that, you know, if you need to change your design, assuming that you've used it and it hasn't been, you know, purge CSS out, assuming you've used like a PX2 somewhere and you want to change something that's a PX1 or that doesn't have padding to use PX2, well, you don't have to recompile your entire CSS and then bust the cache. You can just change your your blade views or your view components and she goes. So that's really good. Um, but most importantly, it's confidence. Um, with the traditional approach to CSS, making changes to the design of one page could affect another page if you're not careful. Whereas using Tailwind, because it's all consistent, everything's thought about. You know, Adam was very, I, I think, a little too far, but, you know, it's obviously paid off in the long run specific in particular about, you know, making sure that everything, all the sizes were, were just right before he tagged the 1.0 release. And that gives you a lot of confidence that between projects and between applications and all that. And and that's not to say, like if you build a bootstrap website, a lot of the time, nine times out of 10, you can pick a, a bootstrap website just by looking at it. Whereas Tailwind, because it's all just utility classes and and, you know, very specific CSS, you could build wildly different websites just from using the same CSS framework. So a lot of confidence in that aspect as well. I spoke for like 10 minutes there, so I should let you speak now. No, you're good. You're good. No, I like, I love for me, like I really came from sort of like a design background. I I was doing design before I was doing development. And so I love that Tailwind gives me the freedom to be able to design whatever I want and then build it with Tailwind. And it's so simple. Uh, It really is so simple. 
I could talk through a couple of these, but you did a really great job with that. So no worries there. Uh, I think the no naming things is a really huge benefit. I'm the type of person who really tends to overthink these things a lot. And so I really mm -hmm. struggle and stress about what do I need to name this one particular class and it would always slow me way down. And so that's really, really helpful. That's a big deal for me. The fact that it's responsiveness uh, is so simple to integrate. That was, you know, again, one of those things where it was always like you're fighting with Tailwind or not Tailwind, but Bootstrap to make that work. Or if you're doing it custom CSS, it's a pain in the butt because it's typically just a couple of things that you need to change usually. Like it's padding or it's like text alignment or it's like flex direction or something like that. And Tailwind just makes it so laughably simple. Yeah. It really is amazing. So anyway, I won't go over all of it again, but yes. Oh, and also... Yeah, the tiny file size is, is wonderful because with Bootstrap, that was never the case. The uh, and, and even Purge CSS is like one of those things. I always wanted to know how to do that. Like, how do I build that? And I remember being back in like the gulp days and like, okay, I had this thing that would try and strip it out after the fact, but it end up screwing it up or whatever. But with Tailwind too, like every class is just, it's a class unto itself. You just like, they don't depend on anything else, right? They're each just a single class. So there is mm -hmm. no overrides or hierarchy or anything like that. It's just whatever you apply is going to work. So man, I love it. I use it every day too. So, so fun. Okay. Moving along here, moving along. We also have, we might as well talk about it right now while we're on Tailwind. Um, Jason also talked about this custom forms plugin, which is built by the Tailwind team. And so Jason talks about it in here and how you can actually include it into your project. So really all it is, is you go into your Tailwind config and you just put in your module.exports, you say plugins, and then you require the Tailwind custom forms. So what this does is, you know, because Tailwind kind of has like this reset almost that they do before they start applying any of their styles, forms end up looking pretty terrible by default, mm -hmm. unless you add some CSS to them, unless you, you know, are, unless you're doing some styling by yourself. And that's one of the things I know that a lot of people just need kind of out of the box that would be really helpful is just some default styles, right? And so that's what this does is this is, you know, some handcrafted styles that look really decent out of the box if you are interested in, in doing so. So this Tailwind CSS custom forms tutorial that Jason goes through here just tells you how to get those uh, pushed into your project. And of course, again, completely customizable. The team has done a really good job thinking through that. And so it's well worth your time to check out um, if you're just getting started with Tailwind or if you've run into this problem before. So we'll suffice it to say to say that. Okay, yeah. so now we're going to start diving into the packages here. There's a lot of them, so we're going to start right at the bottom of the list. I'll go ahead and jump into this one. Testing time with Carbon and the time or the test time package. So this has likely happened to you before where you need to test that something happens in a specific time. For example, you need to say, I want to grab all blog posts from the last seven days and I want to determine that I'm sending out a digest for all those blog posts, right? But don't send it if there's a post that only that happened, you know, eight days ago or whatever, right? So you have some need to be able to set the time or freeze the time. Carbon does offer a method called set test now that you may have used in your pack in your uh, tests before. But this test time is a package by Spassi that provides a helper for Carbon version two, by the way, to control the flow of time in PHP unit tests. So they have a couple of different methods here. I'm just going to read out. Uh, there's freeze, which is uh, to the flow of time stops. 
There is add year. So you say freeze the time. Okay, now add a year. Okay, so it's adding this year. And then uh, you can also get the actual current year as well. So you have basically test time and then you also have uh, real time, right? And so what this does is this allows you to kind of be able to flip back and forth between the two of them um, using test time and or carbon. Another reason why you might do this too is you might freeze time and then you can... Um, create a couple different things and then you can check timestamps in your database like a certain database has whatever so that's something you can do too uh so yeah this is interesting if that's ever something you've run into check that out spassi slash test dash time okay we have these rabbit mq stuff michael there's two packages that go along with this there's the q driver package and then there is also the amqp you want to tell us a little bit about those yeah sure so the laravel q driver for RabbitMQ is a package by Vladimir Yuldashev that provides a Laravel Q driver for RabbitMQ. So like Redis, but it's designed to be highly available. It gives you, they call it, I think, durable, like durable queues, uh, but they'll persist between restarts and things like that because it'll write out to disk. I'm pretty sure you can configure Redis to do it, but, you know, we don't. This is like a hosted version of it, right? Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. hosted Redis pretty much, yeah. Um, so once it's installed or configured, you can use Laravel's QAPI exactly the same as you would if you were using Redis or Beanstalk or any of the other supported drivers. And it even provides support for Horizon out of the box starting with version 8. So there's a, a full host of Q configuration options available. You can set factory classes, hosts, ports, you know, all that kind of stuff that you'd expect on your queue driver, but then it gives you the options to set exchanges and queues and um, whether to sleep on errors. So if you get an error with something, you can tell Rabbit to just hold tight for three seconds. So the package itself is compatible with Laravel and Lumen, and it also has some flexibility in the underlying transport library, which you can use any AMQP compatible transport. I was reading this on their website. Uh, Rabbit and Cube is the most widely deployed open source message broker. That's pretty impressive. Mm. So they've got lots and lots and lots of users. T-Mobile, Runtastic. So they're they're used all over the place. I've, I remember seeing these even back many many years ago when kind of yeah. queues were sort of like the a first a new thing. They weren't a new thing. They were new to me. Yeah, and yeah, yeah Rabbit's been around all over for the place. A, a long while. We we were using it at work when I started. We had some durability issues you know in terms of actually displaying it so or, or using it on our end the, the, it would just go away sometimes and we never really got to the bottom of it and rather than iron yeah iron happened that did with the, uh, the iron iron cues or something like that you remember that one what was that called yeah called iron, iron. MQ. yeah the yeah. iron mq we used them for a long time and then we had the same problem we're like all yeah. of a sudden it'd just be like iron mq is gone like what the heck so yeah 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 it's, I mean, it's from Laravel's perspective, it's easy to sort of pick one and, and you know, really hone in on providing support for it as a first-party option as opposed to trying to spread thin and, you know, do it for multiple totally. drivers. So, um, and, and, and people in the community are much more like, you know, Taylor uses Redis all the time. And so it makes yeah. sense for him because he's using it and he's feeling whatever pain points he comes across to, to deal with that kind of stuff and manage it. Whereas if he's not using Rabbit, then it makes sense for someone, you know, like Vladimir or like um, Syed who, who's built this other package that we're about to talk about. Um, you know, if they're using it all the time, it makes sense for someone that's, you know, in the weeds with it to, to maintain it and, and use it. So, um, but as I said, the, the package by Syed, Sirajul Islam Anik uh, is AMQ, AMQP is a painless way to use Rabbit MQ with Laravel. 
um, and it eases the consumption of the rabbit MQ um, Q transport. Uh, this one works with Laravel Lumen and Laravel Zero, which is the build your command utility package from Nuno Maduro. Um, at the time of writing, you'll need to configure the service provider manually, but there is a pull request open at the time of the writing of this article to bring in package auto discovery. So you can think of this this package more as a general package with conveniences on top of the underlying AMQP library um, and the RabbitMQ driver as a drop-in driver for Laravel queues. So it allows you to publish directly to AMQP into specific exchanges and queues and things like that, um, and even to directly consume messages that have been placed on the on the queue. So check out the documentation and more about the package. We'll link up both of them in the show notes. So that's sort of like SQS, like you can like push a message out there and then consume yeah. a message. Like it's just yeah. kind of sitting out there on a queue. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. We next have this video platforms parser. So how many times have you had this situation where you have to embed a video on a or in a blade template? And it's coming from YouTube and you got to go look up the embed code and the iframe and all that stuff or Vimeo or Dailymotion or et cetera, et cetera, right? So this video platforms parser by C-H-O-J-N-I-C-K-I, Chojniki is the uh, Twitter handle, I believe. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. Is a Twitter handle? No, GitHub handle. So it's an easy to use SDK for multiple platforms like YouTube, Dailymotion, Facebook, and more. So it's simple, but it's the API is, is simple, but you can actually get, and actually, I guess I read this wrong. <laughs> I did read it wrong. Uh, I was thinking, here's, I was thinking it was for embedding it on your page. It's not for embedding it no, on no, your no. page. It's about, it's for getting information from these platforms mm-hmm. about a specific video. Uh, I'm so sorry. I'm sure there's actually a package out there for the <laughs> other thing too. Embed responsively, I think is the thing I use for that typically. Have you ever seen that? I've not, no. Yeah, you should look at embedresponsively.com, I think is what it is. So you basically just paste in a URL and it gives you this it gives you this nice little embed based on whatever type of uh, one mm-hmm. it is and it's responsive, so it scales. So you just yeah. have to use like FitVids, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I mean, it's, the it, point. <laughs> it's just a div with some padding on it. No, no, there's a little bit more to it than that. With the, like in order to be able to like scale the video with the size, yeah. I know it sounds maybe like it's, more complicated than it should be, but it is a little bit. And so this thing just takes it. It's simpler than you're making it sound to be. Yeah. You just go to embedresponsibly.com. It's super simple. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. You forget I used to uh, do this for a, for a day job. That's true. That is true. I thought you guys dealt with more like the transcoding side of things. Well, we did the transcoding, but we also up. had responsive embeds and things like that as well. Gotcha. Yeah. So this one in particular shows uh, you basically just say, hey, here's the platform. Here's the thing I want to go get information from. And it will return back to you uh, the ID of that video, the platform that is playing on, the title, the description, the thumbnail, any tags that are on it. And that works again for YouTube, Dailymotion, Facebook, LiveLeak, CDA, Vimeo. And so you can get more information about this package in the show notes. Thanks so much. I'm not sure how to spell your name or how to say your name. Chaj Nikki. So uh, yeah. I'm not sure either. I've actually needed this before in the past. I'm curious if it gives you like the number of plays. That's like that's like typically the thing that I need from like this sort of stuff is like I need like analytics. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. I'll, I don't know. I'll have a I'll have a crack at this person's name because I just had a look at their GitHub and they're from Poland. So my guess is that his name is Hoynitsky. Ah. <laughs> he'll Hoynitsky. he'll correct me if I'm wrong. Look Hoynitsky. There we go. There you go. And cool. like you're, I mean, I guess you're not from Chicago. I was going to say there's a lot of poles in Chicago. You should know better. 
I do. I, I, I grew up with uh, two friends as uh, Jeff Novacek and Ryan Krzyzewski. So, and I can spell yeah. both Novacek. Okay. N O W A C Z Y K. That's how you spell Novacek. Yeah. I mean, it's like probably, the weirdest um, last that's name. Much closer pronunciation than the other one that you said. <laughs> Krzyzewski? Krzyzewski. Or, oh, yeah. Krzyzewski. K R Z E S Z E W S K I. Krzyzewski. It's Krzyzewski. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, they were good friends. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I, I grew up with a lot of Polish people in Michigan. Fun times. Yeah. Oh, who else is Polish? We know Matt, uh, Matt Stipa. Stipa, mm. Stipa. He'll forgive me. Okay. Anyway, moving along. Moving along. Moving okay. right we along. We have this Clam AV antivirus validator. Man, you're getting the, all the double hits here. Double you hits. You got the Tailwind, you got the Laravel Q drivers, and now you're getting the Clam AV. Tell us about Clam AV. Yes, there are two packages here. The first is the Clam AV antivirus validator which is a package by krishna prasad that provides a custom virus validator based on clam av antivirus scanner for file uploads some setup is required to use this package so you need to install the clam av antivirus scanner on your server to make the package work but once you've configured it you can use the rule like any other validation rule so you would say on your request validate call upload and then the rule name is just clam av and it'll go off and do its thing and i guess it will check to see if there's a virus and it'll fail the validation if a virus was found but you can obviously learn more about the underlying antivirus engine and check out the clam antivirus website and learn more about the validator package get the full installation instructions and view the source code on github the other one that we've got here is the clam av scanner for fly system which is a package by Michael Grego that scans files for malware using the Clam AV antivirus engine. The readme explains in more detail how this adapter works in tandem with a backing adapter, which I will quote. Now, this package provides a file system adapter for fly system that scans files being read from and written to an underlying file system using the popular Clam AV antivirus engine. This adapter acts as a pass-through adapter sitting in between your application and whichever concrete fly system adapter you use to store your files. Since this scanner is itself a fly system adapter, it can be implemented in an existing application simply by dropping it in as a replacement to your existing fly system adapter so that all file system calls will go through the Clam AV adapter. So I guess some kind of proxy level shenanigans going on there. Uh, but the gist of it is that you've got your backing adapter. Say you open a socket instance, you create a new instance of the Clam AV scanner and then pass your socket to it and uh, it will just go about its business during usage files are scanned during the read and read stream write and write stream update and update stream and copy operations and if any malware is detected by clam av in the file during any of those operations the av scanner adapter will throw a virus found exception the get reason method will give you the name of the malware detected and get path will provide the path to the file in question Definitely check out the README, which details the background of how to use the adapter as well as properly using the ClamD daemon. And to learn more about this package, be sure to check out the show notes. Very cool. Yeah, so um, we, we I mean, obviously handle file uploads, but I've never actually checked any of them for viruses before. Um, I'm sure it's fine. All of your internal users are to be trusted. No, I mean, we scan them after the fact, I think, on our uh, systems. Okay. But like, I don't ever scan them in like transit, like on, on the way up to the server, which is interesting. It's pretty cool. Clam AV, who knew? Okay, so next package we have is registering multilingual routes in Laravel. So if you've ever had this situation where you have like a route that you want to send somebody to, let's say your home route, right? Your homepage. So let's say you mm -hmm. do slash home. 
And then you want to be able to localize your content. So you now have home slash FR for French and home slash ZA, I think is China or like, you know, Mandarin. There's, there's all sorts of different, you know, two letter suffixes or whatever or prefixes or whatever you want to call them, two letter language codes that you could use. What you end up having to do is you could end up having to create a bunch of these different routes based on which languages you have available for which pages and if that's how you in fact want to handle it. So this package essentially takes care of all of that for you. So instead of having to say route get slash home and then slash home slash FR and then slash home slash ZA and then slash home slash JA, whatever, all those different language codes, you can just now do this with route colon multilingual and then the route name that you want to provide. So slash home, and it will take care of handling the slash FR slash ZA slash JA and passing that along for you. It also ships with the middleware that automatically detects and changes the locale of the application based on the request. So when it comes in, uh, this multilingual route, this middleware attaches and then will change the locale of your application so that your your views that you're showing uh, will correctly reflect um, the language that you're wanting to display. You're probably going to do this translating strings using the um, underscore helper. So it's like underscore and then you can provide like the JSON strings in, a, uh, in your Lang resource. So but it, ha- it, ca- it helps to handle kind of all of the route suffixes and, and uh, assigning the locale, which is something we've had to do before. It, the, the blog post on Laravel News is good. It's a really quick introduction. The package itself, however, is quite comprehensive. So there's a bunch of different things that it can do. For example, um, you can say this route, this multilingual route only provides French. Right. So it only works for FR. Right? It doesn't work for any of the other ones. So if, if you're like working through a project and you're saying, hey, we have most of the translations, but for some of these pages, we only have single translations. You can do that as well. So it looks like a really, really powerful package for any of the uh, any of us out there who need to handle uh, localization or multi-languages. Uh, so definitely give that a look. And that is from Chin Leung. Chin Leung from Canada. So very cool. Oh, no nice. way. He's got a whip hat on and a Laravel Elite shirt. No chin. <laughs> All right. He's one of us. Yeah, right, he's been cool. elevated. Elevated. Been, yep. He's elite. Excellent. Next up, we have the Fuco slash masks package, which is a package to mask sensitive data. It's a small PHP library by Kal- Kaloyan Tsvetkov for making sensitive data for masking sensitive data by replacing blacklisted elements with a redacted value. So essentially you can say protect colon colon hide value and then provide your secret key and then protect hide input for um, in your post. You could say password comma input post and then pass the post object into or the post array into the protect method of the protect facade. Um, And you can specify like a whole bunch. So it's really good if you were posting around your app key uh, from your environment you could say you know hide my app key my db password redis password mail password any of the secrets in there so that you don't accidentally dump those out to the screen it works similarly to i think in whoops you can specify like a whitelist or a blacklist of environment variables to do, to display in your application and, and go from there so uh, definitely check this out if you have cause to ever need to you know you want to display that something is there but you want to hide what the value is. So thanks to Calio 
Kalo Yan Svetkov for the package. Uh, definitely check out the show notes if that's something that you're interested in. Absolutely. Next up, we have this GitHub announces dependency graph support for PHP. So what this means is that, and it's this is GitHub has had this for I think for Node for for JavaScript dependencies like things that are in your package.json, but just uh, on September 18th, they announced new dependency graph support for PHP repositories with composer dependencies. So what this means is that PHP repositories will get security alerts and automatic security fixes, dependency insights, and more. So there's this new sort of, I think it's actually in beta still, but what it will do is it will look for any advisories that are out there for any of the dependencies that are in your project. And if there are advisories out there for code that could be not malicious what's the word i'm looking for that could have vulnerabilities right what it, you can do is you can uh set it up to do a couple different things you could say alert me uh or you can say go ahead and make a pull request for me do these automatic security fixes give me insights into ones that might be risky uh, and this is super helpful because as you can imagine if you have a project out there that's been living out there for a while and you're not doing regular composer updates on it uh, it might happen that there is something vulnerable, even in Laravel, right? This has happened plenty of times before where they say, oh, actually, um, you know, they could figure out something if your app key isn't this long or whatever. There's a certain type of way that we're encoding cookies that could be problematic. So Laravel issues an advisory and they say, hey, you need to update to this next dot version. GitHub will now alert you to that and say, hey, you have a couple uh, repositories that you're using this version that's vulnerable, you need to update. So this is a really, really cool feature. And if you're using GitHub, it's free. So it'll look through your Composer JSON, your Composer lock files, it'll send you alerts, so you can address it. And it will also, uh, if you opt into the automatic beta, you'll get pull requests for any vulnerable dependencies. Along with this, it says, and I'm not, maybe you can help me with this, Michael. It says, to go along with this new feature, GitHub's also become a CVE numbering authority, which will make it easier for maintainers to report vulnerabilities directly from their repositories. So actually, I did see this. If you go into your security on your repo and then you go to advisories, you can actually draft a new advisory, I think, for your... It says, privately discuss, fix, and publish information about security vulnerabilities in your repository's code. Mm -hmm. So I guess it makes that easier for people to do that since uh, GitHub is going to be an authorized CVE numbering authority, right? Yeah. So now you can do that straight from GitHub. Easy. Pretty freaking cool. That's awesome. Pretty cool. Yeah, there's a lot of integration pieces. You know, Dependabot was there, but the the dependency graph stuff that's you know just running there, you don't have to enable or you just have to enable? No. Yes, maybe? I think I think you do have to enable it. Yeah, I think you do. Yeah, okay. I know that I got emails for a couple of my repositories. I guess because it was only a couple of them, I must have turned it on. So, yeah, definitely check that out. It's it's handy. It'll just like send you an email when there's things that need to be looked at. I guess it's Dependabot is just saying, hey, there's new new versions of stuff that's compatible with your repository, whereas you know this will tell you, hey, there's a security issue in a package that you're using that you should upgrade. So... Definitely good to use. I, you know, if you're not too worried about Dependabot in terms of like keeping all of your packages up to date, you know, if everything's pretty stable and you don't want to worry about that too much, then this one I would certainly enable just so that it's checking your security side of things. And um, we do this yeah. with the Sensio Labs. Like every time we push to GitHub, we yeah. run it through the security checker. So cool. Yeah. This is, a, this is like a little bit more uh, automated version of that, right? I yeah, suppose. definitely. Yeah. Cool. All right, so Laravel Stats 2.0 is here. It was re recently released with a bunch of changes and exciting features. Um, if you're not, not familiar with Laravel Stats, it is a rake-inspired package that gives you code statistics for your Laravel projects. 
we've we've covered this package earlier in the year, but it's time to look at the shiny new features that have just been released. We now have the ability to differentiate between application and test code. So one of the stats is the ratio between application code and test code. In 2.0, each component can now be explicitly configured to count towards application or test code. We now have a verbose flag, which will list all recognized classes for a component. We've got the ability to filter output by component. So you've got a new dash dash components flag added to filter output by component type. An example of this flag is available in the readme, but basically you'd say only show me statistics for migrations and models, and it will only do that for you. There's a list of component types in the component classification table. If you are upgrading from a previous version or are curious for more 2.0 details, check out the release notes, uh, which we'll include in the show notes. And you can also check out more details about the package, the full installation instructions, and a link to the source code in the show notes. Okay. We're sorry, folks. We are hustling a little bit here. I know that my son, like we're on double speed. We're not. We are just single speed, but we're just uh, trying to get through this. Michael, what do, you, what do you got going on? You got something going on. We've got family photos. So we're going oh my to gosh, get that It's going to yeah. look so pretty. I have to go shave and shower and Ree's getting her hair and makeup done and Eli, and Eli doesn't have to do anything. Yesterday. He just Oh no, he nope. had his haircut yesterday. He's got nope. this little No, nope. he's just cute. You know, you know matter. Frank from Everybody Loves Raymond, he's got this little it's all grown at the back. It's becoming this little mullet that we have to trim it. <laughs> oh, dude, leave it. Mullet's right. No, They're coming back. Not at all. Okay. Hey, can I I mean this is a side note and I we don't have time for this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Fanny packs. I know fanny means something completely different in <laughs> Australia, but you know what a fanny pack is. Yeah, bum bag. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a bum bag. Is that what you call it? Bum bag? Mm-hmm. Those are coming back in. Did you know that? Yeah. It's all in twenty eighteen, they is... made up for like a twenty-five percent, like twenty-five percent of the accessories market, whatever, I guess. Is insane. Like I don't know. They're coming back out of control. Out of control. We need to make we need to make a Laravel News podcast uh, bum bags, fanny packs. Send them out to our faithful listeners. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Okay. Laravel error page illustrations. Do you remember those uh, Steve Sugar error illustrations we had in there? Gorgeous illustrations. I don't even know why they, they were beautiful. Removed. They just disappeared. They just disappeared one day. In any case, you can get them back now. So there is a uh, Laravel Collective package, so you can pull these back into your Laravel project. So you can go check that out. It'll be in the show notes. That one wasn't even worth saying that that was mine. So I'm going on to the next one too. So, ha. Okay, we have this Laravel Scopes generator. So this is pretty interesting. So basically it adds a new artisan command. It's by Samson and Endale. And it adds a make scope command to the artisan console. So you can create a new scope uh, that will apply a global scope to your query builder. So you just say PHP artisan make scope name the scope, such as client scope, for example, and then that will apply a new global scope to your eloquent query builder, I think is how that works. Yes, yes. There's documentation on it anyway. It might not automatically apply it, but anyway, it's the artisan command to make it happen. There we go. Okay, we've got this fireable. Oh my gosh, I want to talk about this one too, and then you can talk about the rest of them. Go, go, go. Okay, I'm hitting it. Okay, so the Laravel fireable attributes. This is really interesting because me and Wilbur Powery, sorry, correction, Wilbur Powery and I... Just ran into this the other day. So this is a package by Boris Lepkin that provides an elegant way to trigger, trigger Laravel-based, uh, I'm sorry, Laravel events based on attributes changed. So let's say you have a model and you want to watch for when a particular attribute changes on that model. So if a user's status attribute changes, for example, you might want to fire a user-approved event. 
right? So if the status changes to approved, you say, go ahead and fire a user approved class. If the status changes to rejected, you want to fire a user rejected class. And in some cases, you might want to trigger an event whenever the attribute is changed, regardless of the value, right? So you don't care if it's approved or care if it's rejected. In that case, you just say, anytime it's changed, go ahead and fire an email updated class or status updated class event. So you can find this by looking at GitHub at invant slash fireable. We'll put it in the show notes. But yeah, we've we've needed this multiple times for this one project that we're working on, which is heavily based in Nova. And um, since it's heavily based in Nova, a lot of the stuff is just kind of happening, right? You know, you mm-hmm. have the updates that just happen. So we're not doing it any, anywhere in a controller, it just happens, right? So you have all these observables. And so we are interested in basically knowing when does this when this one thing updates, go ahead and let us know. And this is a great package for that. So if you're using Nova and you need to kind of watch stuff for when it happens, yeah, check this out. This would be really helpful. Cool. Nice. That's all. Okay, you can handle the rest of them. The rest of them is this very two last one. You got two? two I only one. got one. API, API logger package. Yeah. So the API logger is a Laravel package by Aung Windant. Yeah, that's a good one. Let's have a look at their GitHub, see if we've got a better note. From Yangon, the difference between Kung Fu Panda and me is that I do not know any Kung Fu. <laughs> Good one. Anyway, that is awesome. the API logger is a Laravel package that helps in debugging API logs. It can log the request method, URL, duration, request payload, models, and control action. It comes with its own dashboard. The route in your application is API logger, where you can visualize all this data from your Laravel routes. To log a route, you use a middleware on your route def- declaration. And you can also implement a custom log driver by implementing an interface provided by the package. To learn more about the package, get the installation instructions and a link to the source code on GitHub, be sure to check out the show notes. And the last one is the scheduled task events added to the Laravel 6.04. You want to talk about yeah, it real we quick? That right time? At the start. Let's talk about we it. Did. The scheduled task events. So we've got Laravel 6.0.4. There is some contention as to whether this should have been the first 6.1 release, but... There's some gray area, I think, in semantic versioning. The Laravel team announced on Tuesday the immediate availability of Laravel 6.0.4. The release includes scheduled task events, a new JSON assertion method, and many, many, I guess many, many, some other things. Um, (laughs) First, an assert JSON path assertion was added to the test response class, which looks really handy for asserting values in a JSON response using dot notation for nested properties. So if you've ever had to look that uh, you've got like, you know, Tags is a is an array, or you've got comments dot zero dot user dot username is something. Using dot notation is a is a nice and easy way of doing it, rather than using Absolutely. like a cert JSON fragment or, or whatever the other yeah. thing is. We've also got three new accessor methods added to Eloquent Builder for convenience of asserting whether or not a builder class has global or local macros. There's a has macro, get global macro, and has global macro method. And another accessor method was added to the belongs to many relation to get pivot columns. And that's just get pivot columns. Next, two new events were added for scheduled tasks. The scheduled task Good starting you, and scheduled task finished. You can learn more about these in the pull request. Uh, that was one that I did for my own personal selfish reasons. Essentially, whenever a scheduled task runs, this will fire. And when a scheduled task ends, this the other one will fire. And the last new update we've got in this release is allowing the definition of command arguments and options with input argument and input option objects. The feature works in a backwards compatible way and is only adding another alternative way of defining arguments and options. I don't know what that's used for. I guess that's used in, uh, 
Oh, I suppose if you don't want to use the command, you know, the squiggly arrow uh, braces and things like that when you're creating console commands. So mm. um, you can see a full list of fixes, the whole diff between 6.0.3 and 6.0.4 on GitHub. The full release notes for this release and the changelog are all in the show notes. Indeed, we made it. We did it. Okay, we had, let's see. As of the, Okay, yep, we have one minute left. There we go. Let's wrap it up. This is episode 103. Thanks so much for listening. Find show notes for the episode at laravel-news.com slash podcast slash 103. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you'd share with your friends or rate us up on your podcatcher of choice. If you have any questions or comments, of course, always feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at Michael Dorinda, at Jacob Bennett, or at Laravel News. We love you all. Thank you so much for listening and hanging out with us for a little bit. Hope you have a wonderful week. And I will have to tell you the story about me camping in the rain some other time. Mm. It was a fun one. Not this week. Next week. Not this week. Next time. Not this week. Next time. Until then. All right. See you. Bye.